Hello and welcome to this Holy Week Reflection for Wednesday the 8th of April 2020. This is one of a series of reflections uh, recorded for St. Mary's Church in Richmond, North Yorkshire. Today's is written by Bob Woodings and Jane Hatcher, read by myself, Scott Lunn. Christ Before Pilate Hanging in the north aisle of St. Mary's Church is a large, old oil painting. Until a new light over it was recently fitted by Peter Truby, it was difficult to make out the subject. But now it can be appreciated for what it is, an important work of art in its own right. It depicts a crucial scene in the events commemorated by Holy Week, the trial of the alleged criminal Jesus Christ before the judge Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. It was, of course, a subject painted by many major artists for altarpieces commissioned for great churches all around Italy, especially in the 16th and 17th centuries. The label on the beautiful frame attributes the painting to Jacopo Chimenti, a Florentine painter better known as Jacopo de Empoli, uh, who lived between 1551 and 1640. His name translates as Jacob, or possibly James, from Empoli, a small Italian town between Florence and Pisa. However, it is no longer thought to be his work, although the jury is as yet out on who the artist might be. What experts agree on is that it is in the style of a group of painters who were influenced by the outstanding Italian painter Carvaggio, such as Bartolomero Manfredi, who gave it to St. Mary's. Here, at least, seems to be a question with a clear answer. It was given in 1920 by Canon Neville Egerton Lee, rector of Richmond between 1907 and 1927. He was related to the Dukes of Bridgewater, who had a famous collection of old master pictures. As there are no marks on the back of the canvas referring to an auction house, it seems likely that Canon Egerton Lee inherited the picture. As a bachelor, perhaps he thought that it should remain here for Richmond worshippers and visitors to enjoy and to contemplate. What is the subject of the picture? Well, Christ has been brought by Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, to seek his judgment and thereby punishment on Christ. As Pilate famously washed his hands of the case to protest his own innocence, and the painter has 
included equipment for such washing of hands, there can be no doubt of the subject. Though this doesn't mean that there aren't aspects and details in the painting which will not be found in the Gospels. There are some details derived much more from ideas then current and artistic conventions and even from the painter's own assumptions. Who is in the picture? The painting shows seven male characters. Christ, who is clearly the most important figure, is of course placed centrally, and he faces us, with two figures to his right, our left, and four to his left, our right. Christ's body is naked under the blood-red mantle, to use St. Matthew's word, and he is partially wrapped with this mantle around him. Though his hands are bound, he still wears a crown, if of thorns, and carries a scepter, if a reed. The painter is affirming that as we know, this truly is Christ the King, if unrecognised by those others in the scene, blinded by their ignorance and sins. The next most prominent figure is to the immediate right of Christ, or as we look at it, our second left. This is the Jewish high priest Caiaphas, an imposing figure with an almost apologetic expression on his face. One of the dominant features of the painting is the richly ornamented, turban-like headdress which he wears, which is of blue velvet on top, and there is a gold-mounted sapphire brooch with pearl drop on the turban's rim. Caiaphas wears a blue velvet cloak with fur trim over a mauve tunic. The forefinger of his right hand points towards us. All these colour details show how remarkable this painting actually is. Christ, we have noted, is in red, and Caiaphas is basically in blue, both primary colours. Around these two, uh, the painting pivots between two authorities, that of the masterly Jewish high priest and the divine Christian power of the Messiah. And Pilate? Well, he is dressed in green, a secondary colour, and so essentially a lesser figure. This vivid colour sense controls the whole picture, which is founded on red, blue and green.
Behind Caiaphas, on our extreme left, is a guard, wearing armour, with a steel morion, a type of helmet, on his head. His right hand bears a wooden staff, which is largely outside the picture. Of course, such armour and associated weapons were unknown in first-century Jerusalem. But the painter's accuracy is of a different sort. For him, any soldier as such is a man of unresistible power and cruel authority. That, after all, is the theme of this painting. On the extreme right of the picture, sideways onto us, and partly out of sight behind the frame, as might be expected of a character in a secondary colour, for all his apparent flashiness, is Pilate. His green cloak is fringed with gold braid, and his right hand is raised to his face, which bears an inscrutable expression. His right hand holds a looking-glass, so that he can visibly see what is before him. On his head is a red headdress, trimmed with ermine, of the sort of cap of maintenance, worn by those who believed themselves to be Renaissance dignitaries, and was, incidentally, formerly part of the regalia worn by the Lord Mayor of York. Pilate's left hand rests on the left shoulder of his kneeling page. The boy is wearing an expensive deep mauve velvet doublet with slashed sleeves. He holds the silver vessels with which Pilate will wash his hands. The page's left hand holds a ewer, a type of jug, and tucked under his right arm is a bowl, the latter particularly richly ornamented. The boy is the painter's most original creation. Uniquely, he wears clothes of about 1620, in colours not used elsewhere, and with his well-cut hair and fine eyebrows, his face almost looks as though he wears makeup. The page is sitting exactly where donors, uh, i.e. those who have commissioned and paid for the work of art, he's sitting exactly where donors sit in Renaissance paintings. Like them, he is kneeling both inside and outside of the picture. Um, inside, he is guilty of the dreadful actions leading to Christ's death, since he holds the water for Pilate. Outside, he belongs to the real world and us, having to experience what we are seeing and being forced to learn from it. The sixth figure is another guard, wearing plate armour, but no helmet, 
who occupies the space between Christ and Pilate. His face, like all such figures in similar paintings, has a grimacing and menacing expression, and his right hand grips Christ's shoulder. His left hand carries a halberd, an axe-like weapon at the end of a long pole, which forms a major part of this composition. It is a threatening element, given the cruciform shape of its cruel metal head. Behind this guard's left shoulder is the seventh and final figure in the composition. A bearded face below a red headdress, and there are no other details visible. Scholars may debate his identity, but the painter knew full well that this is Barabbas. The criminal, Pilate, agrees to release when he sends Christ to his crucifixion. Ironically, Barabbas also bears that same red colour. The painter knew exactly what he was doing in this picture, insisting that those like ourselves who see it must look carefully at everything he includes. Even the hands that seem to protrude everywhere. There are ten of them, all unpaired, save for those of Christ, which are of course bound together as in love. The rest, belonging to those who Christ came to save, are gripping, clutching, threatening. Those characters cannot, of course, see the point. But what about those who look at the picture? With huge thanks to Bob Woodings and Jane Hatcher for putting these words together and educating us on this important picture within St. Mary's, which many of us are familiar with. Thanks also, and it's worth noting there is uh, more information in the Richmond and District Civic Society's Richmond Review for 2016, which contains an interesting article by Richard Almond on this same oil painting.